a library of 66 different books. There's poetry, there's history, there's biography. Uh, there's all sorts of different books in here. But we believe that although written by human people, human beings, they were inspired by God. That's what the Bible says of itself, is that it was inspired by God. And so in my life, what I'm seeking to do is to conform my life to what I read in this book. And as I lead this church community, that's what I'm all about. It's about, uh, don't listen to me, uh, listen to what this book says. So this is our authority. So uh, when we gather together, we always gather around um, this book because we don't want just to discuss our own ideas. We want to listen to what God has said to us and learn from it. So uh, a lot of the letters in the New Testament, which is the part of the Bible that begins with the four books that tell us about the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, uh, and then the, what happened after Jesus. Most of the letters are written by a man called Paul, who, a bit like John Newton and a bit like Christine Kane, had an uh, a, a encounter with Jesus that changed his life. And as a result of that encounter, he changed the world. So... Um, it is exciting to have your life caught by Jesus because then he sets you off on adventures and you end up changing the lives of those around you. So we're in a series of sermons which we kind of started back in the autumn and then we had a break for Christmas and we're just kind of getting back into it where we're kind of exploring this letter. And the problem is there's just way too much to digest, particularly when you get to Romans chapter 8. I was reminded of uh, the last time I went to... Um, uh, Nigeria with my friend Andy Economides and the last, the last day we kind of had a rest day before we flew back to England at the Sheraton Hotel in Lagos and um, the Sheraton Hotel in Lagos it was a Saturday night and they put on this kind of buffet banquet which was I mean it was just vast there was just there were so many different food stations and there were so many different types of food. the one that I remember particularly was one that you could go to it's like the Chinese food station and it was a lovely chef who would literally just, he had all the ingredients in front of him and he just said what you wanted and he literally cooked it. In front, and then there were all sorts of, and the thing was, you just, you couldn't do it all in one go. So I sort of paced myself. And, uh, and through the year, I just kind of kept going back and getting different. So I had about eight different courses because I thought, well, I, w- I want to enjoy it all. But if I just fill my plate with everything, that's not going to work. I've got to take it in bits. And uh, Romans is a letter like that, and chapter 8 is, is just, it is a banquet. It is a complete banquet. And um, we're, I'm just going to pick out four things. Four things that kind of gather around the kind of question of uh, what, what, does, what has Jesus done for us? What's the difference that Jesus makes to our lives? Because if Jesus doesn't make a difference, well, not much point. But Jesus does. And uh, so we're going to land on four things from this chapter. And then Wednesday evening at Life Group, we will we'll, um, chew over more of it. There you are. Heads up, Alan, if you didn't know that already. Uh, that, that's what we do Wednesday evening. Explore some more. Because there, I mean, there is so, so much. So let me pray and then, um, and then we'll, we'll pick out some bits and hopefully make sense of them. So Jesus, thank you uh, that you speak that you're alive, that by your spirit you are here with us this morning. And there's nothing that you love more than to change our lives. 
and offer us life in all its fullness. So Jesus, as we think about this, this chapter this morning, as we think about these things, would you be at work by your spirit, making yourself known and speaking into our hearts and minds. And may our hearts and minds be attentive uh, to what you have to say for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Okay, so first off, um, the, the chapter begins with therefore. And uh, in the Bible, whenever you read the word therefore, you have to ask, what is it therefore? Uh, because it's kind of continuing something. So basically what Paul has been talking about up to this point is, is what Jesus has done for us. And that centres around Jesus' death on the cross. The Good Friday story of Jesus dying on a cross. Why did he die? What has he done for us? And chiefly, Jesus died on the cross in order that we could be forgiven. That we could be forgiven. And if there's anything that we know that we need in our lives, it is forgiveness. Because we all know uh, we've messed up and we've got things wrong. And sometimes we don't know what to do with that guilt and shame. And sometimes it just sits with us and it eats away at us and it affects the way that we live and it diminishes our life. And it's like a, you know, it's like a, sack, a weighty sack that we carry around with us that we... Never quite sure what to do with it. Sometimes we try just brushing it under the carpet, but it's, it's always there. And Jesus went to the cross in order that we could find forgiveness. And as we've just sung in that last hymn, Amazing Grace, so that we could be set free. And that's what Paul has really been talking about in the, the first seven chapters. So now he begins this chapter with the therefore, because Jesus did that, therefore... So what? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is now no... How many of us live our lives with this nagging voice on our shoulder, jumping in and condemning us when we mess up and we get things wrong and telling us that we're useless and telling us that we've failed and telling us that we deserve to be punished because we've got things wrong? Paul says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. So what has Jesus done for us? Jesus has set us free from condemnation. Why is that good news? It is good news because we all sit under that, that burden of condemnation. In John's gospel... John writes, possibly the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Isn't that good news? Should not perish but have eternal life. That's why God sent his son Jesus because he loves us so much. And generally we read verse 16 and then we stop. But actually we need to read on a bit because... Uh, He goes on to say, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God didn't send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world. That's not what Jesus is about. Um, uh, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Why? Verse 18, because whoever believes in him is not condemned. This is what Paul is saying. Whoever, if you believe in Jesus, then you're free from condemnation. Because whoever does not believe, uh, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe 
stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn us. He sent Jesus into the world to rescue us from a condemnation that we were already sat under. Does that make, does that make, does that make sense? Jesus came to rescue us. The um, letter in the New Testament uh, written to the Hebrews, written to a Jewish community. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says this, just as we are destined to die once, so we only have one life. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is it, folks. So, so if you're making a complete mess of it, you're not, you know, not going to come around again. Um, this is it. Just We're destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. That's the deal. We live this life, and then at the end of this life, we stand before our maker, our creator, and uh, there's a judgment. And the, the good news of Jesus is, on the cross, Jesus takes what we deserve on himself. So Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, he wrote a couple of letters in the New Testament. Peter wrote a letter in which he said this, Jesus himself bore our sins, my sins, my falling short of God's standards, my falling short of God's glory, uh, bore our sins, my sins, your sins, in his body, on the tree, on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. By his wounds, that's how we know that God loves us, because God put himself on the cross. Which means we can rejoice in the words of Psalm 103, verse 12, where the psalmist says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Is that good news? As far as the east is from the west... So far has God removed our transgressions from us. That's why there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The difficulty we have is believing that that is true. Because most Christians that I know wander around feeling guilty and ashamed and condemned because of stuff that they've, they know that they've done. And ways in which they know they've fallen short. We have to get our head around the truth of what God says. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So even though we mess up, and today I'm quite sure I will fall short of God's glory, fall short of God's standards in any number of different ways. But when I do, I won't be condemned because I know all of those things were already dealt with on the cross. That's what Jesus has done for us. He set us free from condemnation. He said, my chains are gone. That's what Jesus does for us. Secondly, how are we doing? Oh, not too bad. Uh, So secondly, um, verse uh, 15, Paul writes this. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of uh, sonship or adoption, spirit of adoption. And by him, we cry, Abba. Not no, no, that's when uh, immediately we think of the pop group. Get that image out of your mind. Uh, there's no um, 
sparkly sequin suits. This is an Aramaic word. Uh, That means dear father, dear father, daddy. By him we cry, Abba, father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Okay, this is what Jesus has done for us. He has enabled us to become God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So what Jesus has done for us is he has enabled us to be adopted into God's family and set us free from fear. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. So often, so much of our lives are driven by fear. What Jesus has done for us is to enable us to live in a different place. You have received the spirit of sonship, adoption, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, we need to understand this properly because I've heard... um, Uh, too many sermons over the years and probably preach one or two myself uh, around the theme of uh, God is my daddy Uh, because that's the words the Aramaic word Abba it, it has that connotation it has that sense of intimacy when Jesus used that word to address God uh, the Jewish people around him would have been very surprised that he used such an intimate term because they knew that God was was awesome and holy and majestic and they you know they thought well well you know we can't be too how can you be too friendly with a a God who is awesome and majestic and so far removed from us and Jesus said when he taught them the Lord's prayer he says no when you when you pray use this word to address God Abba and it would have it would have shocked them to have used such an intimate word to address God. But that's what Jesus has done for us is he has brought us to a place where we can have a an intimate personal relationship with God. But if that's all we settle on when we look at this word abba, we've we've kind of missed the point. And we've kind of ripped it out of context because um you know we we live sort of in a culture now where you know we're used to sort of bouncing babies up and down on our knees and and kind of cooing over them and going ah oh, isn't he cute. And uh, in the ancient world, 2,000 years ago, not a, lot of that, not a lot of that went on. The idea of having that kind of sort of intimate relationship with a, with a child, it you know, just wasn't quite part of the culture. Which is why if you had a child that uh, you, you couldn't afford to keep or you didn't want to keep, uh, you'd just put them on the city refuse dump. That's what you would do. Uh, you would leave them to exposure. And if they were lucky, someone would find them and take them in. And if they weren't, they would just die on the rubbish heap. So we, we, we kind of have this sort of 21st century idea of this, you know, sort of gooey relationship between fathers and their children. Didn't really exist in the 2000 years ago. So when, when Paul wrote this and, uh, and said about Abba being our father... They wouldn't have had that image of a little baby being bounced up and down on daddy's knee. What they would have instantly had in mind was a Roman household. Because it's a society that is very patriarchal. And the building block of the Roman Empire is the family unit. And at the head of the family unit is the father, who's known as the Abba. So what, Jesus, what Paul is saying is, because of Jesus, you can live 
with God as your head of your household, as your Abba. Now, if you live in a household with a good Abba, you're in the best possible position in the Roman Empire. Because your Abba will look after you. Your Abba will put a roof over your head. He'll provide food for you. If you get into trouble, your Abba will come and rescue you. If you get lost, your Abba will come and find you. If someone accuses you and takes you to court, your Abba will come with you and defend you. To live in the home of a good Abba is the best place to be. In fact, in the ancient world, if you were a slave in the home of a good Abba, you were better off than someone who was free who didn't live in a good household. Because you could be a free person and starve on the streets. But you could be a slave in the home of a good Abba and be well off, be well provided for, be cared for, be loved, be looked after. Which is why at the beginning of the letter, at the beginning of Romans, Paul introduces himself as a slave. Do you remember that way back when we started? Paul introduced himself as Paul, a slave. Of Jesus Christ and a little community of Christians in Rome, which have probably been a gathering a bit like us, probably 20, 30 people maybe, gathered in a home in secret, uh, reading this letter. And as it began, they'd been like scratching their heads because in that little gathering there would have been slaves. And if you were a slave, the one thing you wanted to be was free. And if you were free, the one thing you didn't want to be was a slave. And Paul starts this letter all about good news and introduces himself as a slave. And they're thinking, what are you talking about? You know, you're, Paul is a Roman citizen. He has freedom. And yet he says, actually, now I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's the best place to be. To be a servant of Jesus. Because the reason Paul says that is because I know where I live. I know who my Abba is. I know that I have a father at the head of my, over me, my head of my household, who is going to look after me. And not a human Abba who is limited in what he can do, but a heavenly Abba who can do anything. Now, if you understand that that's where you can live because of what Jesus has done for you, then you're no longer a slave to fear. Because what have you got to fear if you have an Abba who can do anything? What have you got to fear if you have an Abba who has guaranteed your eternal future and your eternal destiny? What have you got to fear? problem is, again, it's, it's like there is therefore now no condemnation. We have to get, we have to get our, the truth of this into our hearts in order to be set free from all the things that we're afraid of. And all of us live in fear because that's our human condition. And all of us have things that we worry about and we're anxious about and we are afraid of. And the extent to which we understand that we have God as our Abba, is the extent to which we will live free from fear. And if you are afraid, then the thing to do is, is not to focus on the fear, but to focus on the one who is the head of your household. This Abba Father, that we are adopted into his family. We, it's the most extraordinary privilege. He says, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've, de- if you've decided to follow Jesus, to, uh, just to own up to the fact that you, we get things wrong and we've messed up and we need forgiveness and we need a saviour and you've come to Jesus. If you're in that place, then you are a co-heir with Jesus 
of everything that God the Father wants to give his son. Isn't that mind-blowing? Isn't that mind-blowing? That, does that make the, 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 kind of the church the most privileged place to live, the most exciting place to live? That I am a co-heir with the Son of God. And you think, wow, really? This is, it just, it, it's nonsense. It just seems bizarre. How, how can this possibly make sense that, that, that I am a co-heir with the Son of God of everything that the Father wants to give his Son? Is there anything that the Father is going to withhold from his Son? No. So is there anything that the Father wants to withhold from me? And yet so often we go around with this idea of, of God being some hard, stingy taskmaster who's just looking for reasons to condemn us and uh, punish us and not give us good things. And it's just a lie that is it's this kind of narrative lie that circulates that says we're better off without God. And it's nonsense. Third thing, verse 28 uh, have you got indigestion yet? So you, can, you, can, you, can, you, can you eat a bit more? <laughs> can we have another course or two? So the next two courses are going to be slightly less, less rich. I mean, not less rich, but shorter. Uh, verse 28. Uh, we, know, we know that in all things, we touched on this last Sunday, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Uh, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Now that's a very reassuring and comforting verse. And it's a very easy one to believe when life is going well. Because when life is going well and everything in the garden is rosy, you can say, yeah, life is good. Isn't God good? This is wonderful. And then, and then it all goes belly up, and, um, and we're like, oh, where's he gone? What happened to God? Why is he, why is he not helping me out? Why, why is he not being faithful? Why is, why is my life suddenly run into the sand? But either this verse is true or it isn't. We know that in all things, and the original Greek, uh, the word for all, um, it means all. Uh, there's no riddle room. Uh, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Or there's a little footnote. We know that in all things, all things work together for good to those who love God. So God is working for our good in all things. Now, that's very hard to understand sometimes when life is full of pain and suffering and things are not going well and things happen that we just, we don't understand but as I say, it's either true or it isn't. And Paul suffered hugely in his life. Paul's life was not a bed of roses. Let me just read you one. Um, uh, he, wrote, he wrote two letters to a church in Corinth, and they're very different letters. Uh, the second letter he wrote after uh, almost losing his life. And uh, he writes about how he almost despaired of life itself. Uh, Paul knew what it was to suffer. He didn't have an expectation that his life would be easy when he chose to follow Jesus. In fact, he had the opposite. He had an expectation that life would be difficult. And he just he write, he gives a, a little summary. He says, um, as servants of God, 
Uh, We commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonour, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. Paul knew what it was to suffer. And he didn't have an expectation that when he chose to follow Jesus, everything would be right with the world. He knew that life would be hard. And the truth is that uh, Jesus did not promise us an easy life. He promised to be with us in our lives. He promised to come alongside us in our suffering. He, come, he promised to be with us through thick and thin. And he promised us a glorious future. We are waiting for the day when all things are new. Just a few verses earlier, um, in verse 20, Paul has written, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 20, the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We live in a world that is subject to decay. And because of that, we experience suffering. And often it makes no sense. And sometimes it feels almost too painful to endure. But the hope that we have because of Jesus is that one day we will be liberated from its bondage and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. That's his promise. Not a life without suffering, but a life with him in our suffering. Which leads us to my fourth and final um, uh, course, delectation and delight. We're on to the mint. Verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let me just read that again, because these words are so beautiful. Let them just land in our hearts and minds. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, I think we haven't had any amens and hallelujah. I think we need an amen and a hallelujah. (laughs) Trying to encourage these. We're not really Pentecostal. So, uh, yeah, that's an amen and a hallelujah. 
Because, you know, what has Jesus done for us? What has Jesus done for us? He has opened the door for us to enter into the household of the perfect Abba Father and to live our lives there. And once you're in, you're in. Which is why nothing can separate you from the love of the Father once you're in. Nothing can separate us. And again, we, we, all the time we have this sneaking suspicion that maybe, maybe something can. Maybe when I mess up, you know, God is just sat there and he's like, oh, great. <laughs> Not again. And then he kind of wanders off. And then we have to kind of, oh, I'm so sorry. I know I messed up, but I know I promised I wasn't going to do that thing again. And I know I've done it again. And I know you're rolling your eyes and tutting and sighing. And can I please just come back in? And then, and then, it's, and then it's like, and you kind of wait. And then after a while he goes... Oh, all right then, just try harder. And then, that's not God. That's not the deal. That's not the household. When, when we mess up, his love expands. It doesn't contract. You know, sadly, often in our, you know, in our human relationships, you know, when I was a kid, when I messed up, parental love contracted and disappeared. And then there would be a, a, a time of kind of tension and guilt and condemnation. And then, and then something would change and everything would be all right again. And, uh, and often when we've, if we've been parented like that, it's very hard to get our heads and hearts into an understanding that, that God isn't like that. That when I mess up, when I fall flat on my face, God's love doesn't contract, it expands because the only thing that's going to deal with what I've done is more love, not less love. And that's what he does. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So if, if, this, if none of this sounds like good news, then I honestly don't know what does. What has Jesus done for us? He's set us free from condemnation. He died on the cross so that we could be set free. That's good news. What has Jesus done for us? He's opened the door through the cross so that we can live in the household of the perfect Abba Father. He will watch over us. He will always have my back. He will always be by my side. He will always watch over me. What has Jesus done for me? What is Jesus doing for me? He's working for my good. He's working to make me more like him. That's not necessarily working for my happiness. He's working for my good. He's working for me to be more like Jesus so that I can be fit for heaven. What has Jesus done for us? He's brought us into a place where nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. I think that's good news. And we've literally just scratched the surface of this chapter. There's so much more to delve into, but I think that's quite enough. Quite enough for now, because otherwise you, you won't want your lunch. <laughs>